Good morning again. If you would please turn to the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm 1. I'll be reading Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, instructive word to our hearts and souls. Father, allow this poem of truth to resonate with us, your people, and anyone who is not yet yours. Let it do that work to the glory of your holy name. Amen and amen. Okay, so having finished our journey through the book of Philippians last week, I decided that before we get into another book study from beginning to end. I'm going to spend at least a few weeks doing expositions of different psalms. The psalms are many things, but one thing they are for sure is a training guide on how to pray, on how to be real, with God on how to feel toward God in your prayers and do that ultimately humbly, meaning based upon the truth of God's revealed word, based upon the truth that God is sovereign and good and worthy of being praised and thanked. That's what Psalms at its core does for us. Now, the book of Psalms as a whole, they were not written in heaven by angels and then dropped down into the temple in Jerusalem. They're written by sinful, suffering human beings who were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They were written in real life situations. The human experience in the midst of fear, in the midst of joy and thanksgiving, in the midst of doubt, 
in the midst of gratefulness, in the midst of frustrations and anger, desperateness, we get these songs. And this is why it's been such a source of blessing to untold millions of believers over the last 2,000 years. Now, just briefly, we come to what we call Psalms. That's, there's the, the heading of it. What it is is 150 distinct, different songs, prayers. We know King David lived in about 1035 to 950 B.C. He wrote almost half of the 150 psalms that we have. Now, psalms were being written, Asaph, the sons of Korah, etc., over those hundreds of years in the nation of Israel. Then, around 500 B.C., after the Babylonian captivity and the return to Jerusalem, these Psalms, these 150 songs, were collected together in one volume by Judah, God's people, and they called them the praise book. The songs of praise. That's the Hebrew Tehillim. And we have the word psalms because it comes from the Greek. It comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, a couple hundred years before Jesus. And the heading of it now in the translation was psalmoi, which means songs. And thus we get our word psalms from it. So this collection of psalms, it was the inspired praise book, prayer book of the nation of Israel for hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. When we look at Psalms, when we read the Psalms, when you sing the Psalms, they're not narrative or storytelling. They're not law. They're, they're not an epistle. They are Hebrew poetry, often put to music with the truths of the, of the prayers through that mode. Now, so this morning we begin with Psalm 1, but I don't know how many weeks we'll do this. I just don't know. It's not going to be 150. <laughs> but we start with Psalm 1, not really just because it is the first psalm, but because I'm convinced that it is the first psalm when they compiled all these together for a really good reason. Because Psalm 1 is foundationally important in setting up the rest of the song book. Before you go to praying and singing the rest of these psalms in the congregation, Psalm 1 it sets them up declaring, here are two lifestyles, two humanities, two destinies. And in his own words, Jesus summed up 
Psalm 1 in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, this way. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so, Psalm 1 opens the book with announcing to Israel, nothing is as important as your belonging to the congregation of the righteous. So, if you're there, let's turn. I want you to notice that verses 1 and 2, they unfold the direction of the believer's life. It tells us plainly also where we are to get our direction for life. Now, it does it by beginning with the negative. It says this is what the believer does not do. This is who the believer is not. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The blessed person, the happy person, or, or maybe at the core, in the context, the one who is enjoying God's blessing is known by what he or she shuns. They are separated persons. A person who is not neutral, but has a bias against those who use God-belittling talk and actions. They're actively shunning that. That's the gist of those three lines in verse 1. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, Meaning, getting their philosophy of life, their worldview of life, their way of thinking from the world. In other words, the worldview, the counsel that opposes the biblical worldview. He does not stand in the way of sinners. It doesn't mean you don't block sinners getting their way. It means the way they're going, you're not with them. He doesn't hang with them. He has no affinity with them. Nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. It implies a kind of belonging. 
you have a seat with them. This is the person who is comfortable and at, at home with those other persons who want nothing to do with God or moral uprightness. They're at home with them and comfortable in that seat. So we see here in verse 1, the wicked man gets his insights from the godless world. The counsel of the wicked. He takes his direction on how to go about life from them. The way that sinners walk. And it is the company that he or she actually enjoys. They sit with them. That's their place. So the point is, blessed is the man or woman. How happy and blessed of God the person is who is not like that. They are counter-cultural. The person is simply different. He resists peer pressure that the evil one brings upon him through the schoolyard or the workplace or the university or the culture at large. The Christian just does not go with the flow. So the picture being painted here by the psalmist is not like a movie where the bad guys and the good guys, they're really obvious. In most movies, you can see by the look of their eyes and their face and then their evil doing. That's not what he's saying. He's, this is not a psalm about, look at that. The righteous person doesn't hang around with Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler, a serial murderer. It's not what the psalm is saying. The wicked, the sinner, the scoffers are often nice people who come in the form of teachers and professors and friends, family members, sometimes spouses. And they will think of you as backward, old-fashioned, and more and more now in our culture, wicked, racist, evildoer. If you don't laugh at what they laugh at when they mock that which is good, you're an outcast to them. Psalm 1 is the Old Testament, Romans 2.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's where the psalm goes next. It leads to the positive side of the believer. To what 
causes that person to separate from those in verse 1. He doesn't just do it. Verse 2 is the answer. But His delight is in the law of Yahweh. And on His law, He meditates day and night. So what leads Him to renounce the appeals of the world in verse 1 and to turn away and not be one of them, the answer is verse 2. The pursuit of His deep, real happiness, pleasure. He cares more for true happiness than he does for peer pressure. Not verse 1, but his delight. Not merely his duty, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Instead of taking his counsel from the wicked, his worldview and his directions from the people of verse 1, he takes his worldview, he takes his counsel on how to walk and live from the Torah. That's the word, Hebrew word, law. The Torah of Yahweh. Now technically, the law, the Torah, refers to the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture, which includes stories, narratives, not just commands. But the implication of this psalm being placed first in the song book in about 500 B.C. is that it includes not just Yahweh's words through Moses in those books, but what you're going to sing and pray and read in this compilation of songs, congregation. That's Torah. Being expressed. But his delight is in the Torah of Yahweh. God's word is his delight. And this is not a dull person. That is not a dull life. He, according to the text, gets his thrills from pondering. The word of Yahweh. That's what drives him. He's preoccupied with the truth of Scripture. The ways of the Lord. The wisdom of the Lord. Good and evil. Preoccupied with them. Day and night. He says he meditates on them. That, that word meditate means the blessed one, the believer, thinks about over and over and over. And it also means he even mutters with the vocal cords to himself 
Like Bob does more and more. Like, why did I come into this room? I've got to remember. And so we remember and we think. In other words, for this person of Psalm 1, it's not merely on the page, but the page is in his mind. It's in her heart. It's on her lips. Torah meditating is what keeps us Christians from totally losing it. It's what keeps our heads above the waters in times of crisis and anxiety. So he mutters, he meditates on the word. So when fear rises, the believer mutters the words of Psalm 118, verse 6. Yahweh, the Lord, Jesus is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. So immersion, immersion in the Bible forms the life of the believer. And that immersion is his or her delight. And then the psalm goes on to describe the effects of that delight. What it is to delight in the word and what comes of that. Well, what comes of it, he describes in verse 3, and it's called the believer's life. And, and should be in the English, it's in the Hebrew. Meaning, this is what he does, delights in the law of the Lord. And, in other words, therefore this is happening. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. That's the picture the psalmist paints as the result of living out the Word of God in verses 1 and 2. Not this, but this is a tree. And the analogy is made clear. The Scripture-saturated, Bible-obeying person is a tree planted rooted, and thus that person has stability. She also has vitality and life because it's planted by streams, a life source, streams of living water. And he is productive. He yields fruit. And it has durability. He does not wither. But instead, even during this journey, all that he does will prosper. The person who says no to verse 1 and yes to Yahweh, to the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 2, is the one who is stable. 
full of life because eternal life is in them. That's the first three verses. Now remember, this psalm sets out two destinies. The destiny of the wicked, as he's going to say, is not a tree planted and stable. The writer pictures the non-Torah lover in verse 4. The wicked are not so. Like the tree. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. The pitch is really clear to them, and I think we pretty much get it. You go to a farmer threshing's floor there and watch as he takes the fork and throws the grain up into the air. And then the light, now, now worthless, chaff is blown away as the grain falls to the floor. And if the tree then represents the believer's stability and life and vitality, then the chaff clearly depicts rootlessness, no stability, and ruin. And that's what he goes on to say in verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a destiny. Don't be a non-Bible lover. Don't be a person of those three lines in verse 1. But Psalm 92 verses 12 to 15 gives a very different picture of the righteous than that. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of Yahweh. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that Yahweh is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Which one do you want to be? That or chaff and perish? Now, there are some in this room who can testify to what we just read. They still bear fruit in old age. They are full 
of sap and green can testify that for decades God and his stability has sufficed like a tree planted by streams of living water of the word of God. But verses 5 and 6 are clear about the destinies of both paths. Verse 5, Therefore, because of what was just said in verse 4, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So that therefore at the beginning of verse 5 shows where it is all heading. The wicked don't love the word of the Lord. Thus they live this way. Therefore they won't stand. There is chaff blown in the wind. And that judgment that they will not stand, they will fall is the final judgment. The wicked, the one who has no delight in God's holy word and gospel will not stand or do well on that day. And this is why Psalm 1 is so important. This is not plain Church, this is serious. It's like the plaque that many of you know, having read Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. It's like the plaque that hung on his kitchen wall all his growing up years that said, only one life. T'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the urgency that verse 5 stirs in us. Judgment is coming. Are you ready? Some are not. Notice how the wicked are described. They have no justification. They will not stand in the judgment with the righteous. That's the point. See, this is poetry. This is what, when you say, oh, there's a wicked, there's a still. Let me just stop for a minute and give you something about Psalms and, po and Hebrew poetry. When you hear it repeated, and it sounds like it's repeated, but with different words, it is repeated. It's saying the same thing in different ways. It's, it's one of the di differing styles of Hebrew poetry that we find in the Psalms. So there's no difference between standing in the congregation of the righteous or standing at judgment. They mean the same thing. The righteous will stand in the judgment. 
But he wants to make it clear they have no communion with God's true people. They won't stand in the congregation of the righteous. They're cut off. They're outside the community of God's flock. And thus he ends the song, the way of the wicked will perish. Who are the wicked? Read it in its context. And I think the context clearly points to this was a psalm directed to only Israel. Meaning, unlike Psalm 2, it's not including and in looking out at the other nations of the world. This is an in-house psalm exhortation and warning. Psalm 1 is talking to the covenant people of Yahweh. And so the scoffers, the wicked, refers to the Israelite wicked unbelievers. Which shows that one can be numbered outwardly with the people of God and yet be one of those who will not stand in the judgment. And that should be a no-duh to Bible readers. That's what Jesus also clearly taught in, during, post-Christ coming in the Jew-Gentile church world. When he said in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord Jesus, not every one of those will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, di did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of Psalm 1-1. Lawlessness. There's a sobering aspect to Psalm. And there is a joyous, beautiful aspect to Psalm 1. Because at the judgment, the righteous will stand. And it'll be good. Look at verse 6a. For the Lord, Yahweh, knows the way of the righteous. He says that in that poetic 
language, he does not mean Yahweh or God is omniscient. So he knows the path that you're taking. He's cognizant of it. That's not the point. The point is this. He knows intimately. He cares for the righteous in their walk, in their path. And if that's true, then it means that the God who cares about every step you, dear believer, take, He will care for you at the judgment. You will stand. Not just now, as a believing Jew in 220 B.C., but a Christian today, stand and you sing and you pray and you praise and you live life in the congregation of the righteous. He will be preserved. She will be preserved and not perish because the Lord Yahweh that's Jesus who's given the name Yahweh. He knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. And so, as you look at Psalm 1, it's true in the English Standard Version, it's true in the Hebrew itself. The very first word is blessed. And the last word is perish. And in between those two words are two persons. Two kinds of lives. God belittling mockers. And those who delight in God and in His holy word. And so these are foundational matters and every person who hears the words of Psalm 1 should take them seriously and make sure that they are among the congregation of the righteous, the Lord's people. And there's only one way to do that. Come. To Yahweh. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he or she will be saved. And all will go in and out and find pasture. And as you find yourself in Christ declared righteous by Christ's work in His blood, in His resurrection, you will find these words a description of you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his and her delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God that was the means through which you saved us who believe. We thank you for the ongoing work of sanctification for the last three years or four decades that has been holding and feeding and nurturing us as trees. And we are ever, even in the times that we live, now here in America, ever, ever more needful of courage, of separateness, of shunning, and of standing. Renew again in every one of us, renew again a love for reading fast, and reading slow, and memorizing meditating on, praying your holy word. Oh, make it evermore our delight to the glory of your name. Amen.